Haters don't really hate you, they hate themselves because you're a reflection of what they wish to be. Welcome to the Two Roads Travel podcast. Two sisters, two journeys, one purpose. Changing perceptions and judgments around alcohol misuse. The impact on the drinker, family and society as a whole. Too many struggle alone, so please remember us when you chat to someone that may need help. Remember, we also run a closed Facebook group for Daughters of Alcoholics. So for those that want more individual support, go to facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash Daughters of Alcoholics. Episode 30 is about the link with spirituality and alcohol misuse. Paula did AA, which is a spiritual program, but our guest Christine never took that route. We chat to her about how alcohol misuse impacted on her spirituality and about her relationship now that she's sober. Remember to tune in on the 18th of October. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Two Roads Travelled podcast. For most children, the idea of fitting in is critical, especially at school. Today, Joe and Paula are talking to successful life coach Jane Scanlon, about how her trying to navigate school bullying was at the very start of her relationship with alcohol. In today's episode, you'll hear about how children can use alcohol as a short-term fix without realising it could easily become something much more. Alcohol is widely available and very accepted in British society, which can lead to ignorance of its true dangers as an addictive substance. So, without further delay, here are your hosts... Paula and Joe. Hello, everyone. Hi, it's Joe here as well. I am so glad it's Friday. <laughs> it's been a hell of a week. Um, but uh, I'm very much looking forward to um, this podcast tonight because um you know, it's around bullying. Um, I've been a victim or a survivor of bullying. Um, I've always been the fat kid, um, you know, and uh, as I've grown up, um, the weight stayed with me. And um, when I found alcohol, that was my new, that was my new mask. I could be whoever I wanted to be. And actually, it enabled me to be the clown. And that's sort of how the drinking kind of impacted a little bit on me um dealing with weight and stuff like that you know so um obviously bullying bullying comes in in many different forms um but uh no i'm sure i'm going to find some identification this evening and it will be um, a pleasure talking with jane how are you joe well you can't call me that it sounds wrong <laughs> right, Joanne. Yeah, for those of you that are listening, my family are the only people that call me Joanne. And if they try and call me Joe, it just feels like I've put, you know, when you, it just feels wrong. Like putting the wrong like, shoe on the wrong foot. It's just not yeah. right. It's not right. So, <laughs> note to self. <laughs> um, right, yes. Uh, likewise I think I I have experienced bullying but not massively but I, I do remember at school and you know school for me wasn't a great experience and 
you know, I do remember actually Paula and I were in the same secondary school and, and she did kind of come to my defense a few times when I was getting bullied. But um, I always seem to have chosen the wrong type of glasses or the wrong type of coat, which attracted criticism. Um, I specifically remember um, all of the all of the criticism that they used to sh sort of shove my way. Um, and just generally my personality, I don't think they appreciated sometimes so that was quite hard um I'm, I'm not really sure how I dealt with it I, I I guess I did try and fit in with people um but I also I think I isolated at the same time and um did really struggle and felt very disconnected and and kind of rejected I suppose um so for me it, it was quite difficult um but everybody then finds a different coping strategy and and um and i know that you know i've spoken to jane and and how maybe you know when she was younger that kind of was alcohol maybe but then later in life it becomes a go-to um when times get you know stressful as they do so um yeah so without further ado i shall um introduce jane um that, oh yeah i've got to tell you something really funny um when Jane and I started talking and obviously, you know, we were in the same Facebook group on, on, um, online, you know, 4,000 people in the group and all over the world, literally. And, um, so we were chatting, talking about the podcast, you know, sharing her story and, and stuff. And, um, she says, Oh yeah. And, um, you know, I ended up moving, you know, down South and, and I was like, Oh, okay. Yeah. Where's that? And, and I think she actually just said Bournemouth. And I was like, what uh, so we basically both live in the same town i could not believe it <laughs> it's just like you could have just pop round <laughs> no need for the for the zoom call um but it was really strange because you don't often go into a facebook group and find someone that lives in the same town as you um especially in bournemouth usually it's london or some of the bigger cities so yeah so that was that was really interesting and quite fun <laughs> so i dare say we will actually meet in real life at one point so that would be really nice probably won't stop bumping into her now <laughs> in person yeah <laughs> So yes, Jane, if you want to introduce yourself, let us um, know a little bit about what you do and also really your, your story, really, how it kind of all got started. And, and as I say, we'll probably ask you questions along the way, um, really just around, you know, the, I guess the impact your the alcohol sort of played in your life. Mm. Okay, yeah, yeah. So uh, my name is Jane Scanlon and um Oh, shall I start from childhood? <laughs> I had I had a, a happy childhood. Um, I always seem to, in the last couple of years of school, whether it was primary school or secondary school, start to get a little bit naughty or get in with the wrong sort of a crowd or um, get bullied and then get into the wrong crowd. Uh, and that's kind of what happened in secondary school. For the listeners, I was... Paula is grinning away because she likes the idea of naughty, I think. <laughs> and she relates to it a lot. <laughs> I like naughty. Yes. We're both <laughs> nodding at each other, smiling. <laughs> yes. Um, so I, I, had gla I've still got glasses. So I had glasses. I was overweight. Um, I, I didn't, there was, like now you look at you look at kind of children and they're so well groomed and I'm not saying I wasn't well groomed I was 
but I was not fashionable in the slightest and you know I got the four eyes you're fat you're ugly you're this you're that um I always just had a ponytail that was it that's as far as the hairstyles really went um and you know there was other girls in secondary school they would get their hair permed and you know they'd come into school with makeup on um and yeah the bullying started and also I was dyslexic but they were also saying I was too intelligent so I felt stupid but they were calling me a boffin and beating me up for that so you know it kind of it kind of started there and I thought well how am I going to get out of this how am I going to stop being um bullied um I think that you know punched in the face held up against lockers and all that kind of stuff um how am I going to get out of this and I ended up started to hang out with these cool girls but they were cool girls but they weren't bullies they were nice as well and intelligent uh, and I started hanging out with them and they are still um some of them are still my closest friends however many years later gosh mm -hmm. is it it's a long time anyway <laughs> later over 25 years and um yeah we they were already going out drinking and smoking but you know they they were a star students so they you know I don't know but they got to do all of that and so I started hanging out with them thinking well this is brilliant um, and I wasn't particularly confident although I did have you know a little dry sense of humour um, and when I started well smoking I started smoking first to look cool and really cringeworthy because me and my best friend were like well if we meet a boy because we went to a girls school if we meet a Boy, and they and they ask us, you know, do we smoke? If we don't smoke, then they might not want to talk to us. So cringeworthy. That is one of the main reasons we started to smoke because of boys. <laughs> within <laughs> within two weeks, we were drinking. We tried smoking uh, weeds as weed as well, um, and you know it. I can't believe, to be honest, how quick everything really really um snowballed mm. from like not doing anything not going out to all of a sudden uh, smoking drinking smoking weed going out kissing boys and being <laughs> naughty <laughs> <laughs> and, and I know when we spoke I know when we spoke you you sort of said there wasn't like the peer pressure from them those girls to start drinking or anything no but... it was just it was more fun they felt really quite free and I wanted to be free I felt with the bullying the pressure of schoolwork I felt quite trapped I think and it's still quite a trigger in me now and has been like throughout life that mm. feeling of feeling um trapped stuck mm. 
you know, wanting to be free mm. and I'm, you know, you get different types. I'm not so much the controlling type. I'm the more right effort, let's go out and party mm. type. Um, well, Paula type then. <laughs> yeah. Paula's like that. <laughs> <laughs> I call it the effort button. Well, you were more like that. You're not so much like that. Yeah. I've settled down a bit now. Yeah, I I call it me effort moments. So we are very similar. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So um, I'm interested to sort of find out, obviously, you know, your drinking sort of experience, you could say, started young, but then obviously it progressed later in life. Um, when would you sort of say that you noticed or maybe you were using alcohol not just because you were enjoying it or what was your experience more as an adult I guess with alcohol well I think the way I started it was binge drinking Mm. and that continued I didn't have a cut-off button really Mm. I would be the one that'd be puking in the toilets (laughs) (laughs) because <laughs> I drank too much <laughs> and then I'd go back out and uh, oh god it's so embarrassing I would I'd carry on drinking oh I feel alright now <laughs> and i carry on drinking made a bit more uh, god um, and that was that was kind of the teenage years and then I had a phase of where I didn't really drink because I was going raving and I was doing other naughty things anyway, but I wasn't drinking. Um, and I was dancing all night instead. Uh, and and then when I went back to drinking, funnily enough, all of the uh, kind of negative associations with it, like blackout drinking waking up in strangers bed uh and that kind of stuff not knowing what I'd said to people waking up with that awful feeling like oh did I do something wrong last night did I I have no idea but I really don't feel good and having to ring up your friend and say you know, how did I ask what happened how did I get home well you'd you might not even ask it outright just dodge around the questions asking them you know how was last night what did you do just to figure out what the hell you did you know (laughs) yeah (laughs) I so get it (laughs) (laughs) Paula's laughing she knows (laughs) thank god all I can say is thank god Facebook wasn't uh, alive when I was in my teens and 20s because by the time it came in I'd I hadn't quite calmed down, but I was more sensible to not take photos. <laughs> the, trouble is, the trouble was, is I was doing that in my forties, <laughs> which is more embarrassing. Uh, yeah, I. When did I? I. It did. It did continue the blackout drinking, but it just became less frequent because I. I had my daughter at 32 and um, pregnancy was the um, 
well I uh, well I mean I didn't have to stop some people do continue don't they you know mm. but I was like right okay I'm stopping I'm changing my life I get really healthy and um I was and it was only when I went back off of maternity leave so we had like you know that's let's say eight months kind of pregnancy didn't find out immediately so eight months pregnancy and then a year's maternity leave um you know belly drank if I did drink in the maternity leave bit it was a couple of drinks that was it um and I was just really happy and content and then when I went back to work in a job I didn't like it slowly crept back in oh I've had a really good week at work I'll just pop into all bar one and get myself a large glass of wine before going home mm. because I never get any time off because I've been a single mum since I said I'm pregnant um and it yeah it kind of crept in then and it's like oh I'm cooking dinner well well I never go out anyway so I may as well have a glass of wine mm. I'll have another one with dinner because I had a nice large one whilst I was cooking and yeah it, it slowly started to creep back in and do you think because you were a single mum and there was no one in a sense and this probably relates to Paula as well no one to be accountable to and nobody to say do you think you might be having a few too many, you know, like, do you know what I mean? You had that freedom to do whatever you want because there was no other adult there to kind of pick you up about it. Do you think that that had any effect? Oh, on... no, no, because I was, me and my daughter, we were living at my mum and dad's. So right, I moved okay. in when I was, oh, moved okay. back in when I was six months pregnant. Right. And actually that would make me worse right. if people say that to me. Right. That's like red rag to a bull. Yeah. <laughs> I'm more likely to tell them to, you know, mind the road and have another glass. Yeah. Okay. Which is why, like, my teenage years, but my mum, my mum's chats with me never really worked because mm. it just fueled the fire, to be honest. Mm. Well, I know Paula was nodding. So I think, do you think that that was easier for you, Paula, when you were like being at the on Oh, own? well, yes, up until. Yeah, it was because um, like the boys were younger and obviously I didn't think they were taking obviously much notice in the early days. Um, and it was, you know, normal at the end of the day, I'd have a glass of wine or something. But as time went on, obviously people did notice. And it was when um, you'd get an, un <laughs> like you'd come around and knock at the door on a Wednesday or I don't know, midweek. An unplanned and, um, visit. And um, yeah, they're, they're buggers, they are. Because you, <laughs> you have to quickly do a sort of a, a once over, you know. And um, and yeah, and you're like, Paula, it's Wednesday. Why have you got a glass of wine in your hand? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, well, I've had a bad day. Um, do you know what I mean? And, and you'd find those justifications and, and the, the excuses. Um, but yeah, the unplanned visits, they were a bit of a bugger. But, um, you know, also when I didn't have the boys that was uh, you know that was go go Pretty go cool. for me mm. yeah yeah mm. um yeah very much so mm. um but yeah it does I mean a lot of people um you know that I work with 
um, when their wives have kicked them out or, you know, they or husbands have kicked them out or they've left them or something, you know, um, nine times out of 10, they'd be like, I was so happy because I could do exactly what I wanted and no one was mm. going to tell me any different, mm. you know, so. Yeah, no accountability to anyone, is there? No, no. And, and you don't want to be. And, no, because uh, well, no, that's, that's boring and you're having fun. And it's yeah. restriction again, isn't it? Yeah. Restriction, then, I that, feel trapped by you. I need to escape. I'm going to have a drink or I'm going to, yeah. And then that's when you, that's when I started and, and I know lots of other people started getting sneaky. So then I was disguising it and, and putting it in different bottles or different drinks, you know, so it looked like I was having a squash, but it was our vodka. But the or, funny thing know, is, you think, honestly, to a family member, you just think, really even though you're changing the container your alcohol's in you're still acting like a drunk person so <laughs> really there's not it's just like you seriously put it that tea in there is it <laughs> <laughs> but you're feeling it over the place <laughs> but it makes sense to to me at the time you know <laughs> i thought i was bloody clever i well, did the madness of it isn't it it is it is. <laughs> it is and if you ever make drinks like i remember making g and t's for for people on holiday and i'd be like half a glass for me da, da, da. you know i'd always have the big the big shot yeah. you know compared to everybody else that i was making the drinks for um have you always found that there's you know the way that you, like you're saying, you pour yourself the biggest drink, you probably have the last drink of the night. Do yeah. you find that you do that in other and other things like have the I biggest was, slice of cake? Or... I was just going to say that. It's literally the penny has dropped. I do that with puddings too. Joanne, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Joanne Joan just left a, a half-eaten piece of um what was it cheesecake. cheesecake she just left it a half-eaten piece how did you do that it was so funny know. both her and um harry who's on our, our has been interviewed on our podcast honestly it was hilarious like he literally couldn't sit and look at this piece of cheesecake it what Gemma, what are you doing with that what do you mean well it's been sat there for you know quite a few minutes now I mean, are you actually, are you going to actually eat that or? <laughs> it was really bothering him. <laughs> it was so funny. We don't just... do half measures. It's all or nothing. And that yeah. goes with, that's why I'm asking, because that goes with lots of different things in addict's life. You know, yeah. when you start looking back at traits that you've got in yourself, because a lot of the time, um, an alcoholic or a drug addict or any, any addict, you know, they have those inclinations from quite a young age, you know, always going for the biggest bit, always wanting to be first, always wanting to be the winner, always wanting, you know, it's that mm. need and want, you know, and, and sometimes it starts and it, and it shows itself in, in a lot of other areas. Yeah, I don't, I don't remember, like, from childhood, but I, apart from the cake and, and ice cream and stuff like that, but then my sister would always want the biggest bit as well, and then we'd fight over it. Um, 
um but yeah it can, definitely. it can be in behavior as well you know yeah. whether it's like mm-hmm. going to the gym like if you go you know let's say you haven't been to the gym and then it's not been on your radar and then all of a sudden you're like at the gym every day or meditate or do you know it could be anything any action you do yeah. like to an extreme yeah I am um, I don't I don't think I do any of it now I lead quite a balanced life now but back then yeah. um definitely you know uh, raving I'd be be one of the, we'd go to after parties the next day so we'd do all night and then we'd go to a 6am start somewhere else mm. we did yeah we did things too extreme mm. we did <laughs> so going back to um what we were talking about earlier um like how do you think it's that you then kind of maybe because I know you said that the bullying probably wasn't necessarily the trigger for you to start drinking and you just did that when you you know met the cool girls but then later in life it became something that you probably used as a coping strategy or something your go-to was it yeah so it was only when the, the funny thing was when so in my 20s I was always the one we were all quite hardcore but I was always the one that would feel guilty and um uh you know bad about how much we'd done the night before and then when I uh, when I was 30 I was like right I really need to step step away from this because if I go over 30 and I'm still caning it all the bloody time then I started at 15 then it's I'm going to be doing this more of my life than I've been sober um and that was a real wake up call so I did move away from some friends then and start to um change things but it was only when I fell pregnant with my daughter and then the the relationship that I was in ended and I couldn't drink and that's what I would do of course you go out get pissed you slag them off Mm. and then you might go find somebody else to date (laughs) um and i couldn't do any of that so yeah it was really really tricky then to realize that actually like alcohol since 15 it'd been at all my parties um it'd been on all my holidays it'd been on pretty much all my weekends whether you know It'd been on all the girls' nights in and the dinners and the this and the that, all the dates, all the dates. Um, it was one reason I did, um, like, we. I'd known Scarlett's father for, like, 10 years before we dated for six months and then I was pregnant at the end of that. But one of the reasons that I, you know, went out with him is because he didn't drink. Mm. And it was like, a, oh, we get on, we this, we that, that. And if, you know, I'm with somebody who doesn't drink, then I'm not going to drink so much. And it did kind of work, but then I just drank on my own. Or <laughs> if we went out, I drank and he didn't, and you know. Um, but I did see it as I, I saw it when I couldn't have it because I was pregnant. I then realised how much I really did use it for everything Mm. um 
and then when I was you know like a companion I guess yeah it's just it's there all the time and and when I did my when I when I gave up drinking and I did then my little the little course I did um we looked at the whole of our life so you know before that point when I was 15 and I started drinking it was at all of the other occasions in my life as a child watching everybody have a glass I mean you know the half of my family are white drinkers partying and the partiers and the other are quite uh, restricted but they still have a little drink um so you know I had yeah both both uh visions both both oh I can't think of the word but you know I had people that were would have a little drink and it would be pretty civilized and a little bit posh and then uh, the other people that would drink more and it was a little bit wilder and it was much more fun did you um did you adapt your drinking to who you were in company with yes I suppose so um and uh, sometimes me and my best friend we would we might go to something but we would quickly make excuses you know we'd stay there for a few hours show our faces and then we'd we'd go off to our usual haunts where we could do whatever we wanted to do right yeah and I would drink you know if if people were drinking champagne do you drink champagne yes I drink champagne people were drinking red wine do you drink red red wine yes I drink red wine you know if if you drink if you're all drinking rum yes I drink rum (laughs) (laughs) So I'd adapt my taste. I'd just uh, adapt the way I spoke as well. So I, I, yeah, bit of a chameleon. Yeah. And also I could change. I can change how I look quite dramatically. Actually, even my family sometimes take a double take if I've, you know, if I've got contact lenses and I straighten my hair maybe do my makeup a little bit different. I look totally different to my usual kind of curly hair, scraped back, glasses on. So yeah, I could kind of do that as well. What What do you think made you choose alcohol over another coping strategy, do you think? Uh, it just is so easily accessible mm. and it's so accepted. If I'd said, oh, no, but I, I do um, pills every weekend, ecstasy every weekend, I'd be, you know, called a drug addict and this mm. and that. But if I said, oh, oh, I love a glass of wine. I love it. Even if I mm. said, oh, love a bottle of wine on a Friday night. Oh, yeah, I do too. Everybody says, don't they? Mm. So do you think the fact that it's legal then kind of just makes it okay for people to, to sort of do it? And actually it's encouraging the massive issue that we have uh, rather than making it more of a stigma and and an issue because actually it's the worst drug out there so I think that like when we think of other drugs like you say we're less likely to do them probably um because we know that you know well one they're illegal (laughs) um but maybe people would be much more judgmental of us um doing those drugs and maybe the government are making it's like, it too easy for people to like develop a drink problem 
Yeah, it's like we've said in the past, if um, at the end of the Grand Prix, um, they're up there holding up the uh, the trophy and then snorted a line of coke instead of having the bottle of champagne, mm. that would be frowned upon. But actually doing the line of coke would probably be, be less harmful than guzzling buckets of champagne. Mm. You know? <laughs> but, you know, it's what society... Um, but then that's the government, in, in a sense, encouraging that. I don't. I'm not. I don't think it matters whether it's illegal or not, because everything's accessible. If I wanted drugs, I could go out and get them today. You know, I know there's a pub up the road that looks a little bit edgy. I bet if I walked in there, spent an hour in there, I could get a gram of coke. But the I fact bet. it's. Yeah, but I guess because it's so much more accessible alcohol, like you can go in a shop and yeah, buy it. Yeah, I could just go to the shop easier. and buy it. Makes yeah. it a lot easier. Like somebody like me would have absolutely no clue as to where to go and get that. But I know that there's 20 shops locally I could go yeah. to for alcohol. For alcohol, yeah. I don't know. I think education and... It's a hard I one. Because I, I don't know. It's so hard, isn't it? It is. Because ultimately when you look at the cost of of alcohol misuse um you know to the government into uh, you know and we can't even begin to measure mental health issues and the cost that is um mm. so you know I, I i mean yeah it is a massive thing to change but then they've done it with smoking and you know trying to get people off the cigarettes and making yeah. places not you know so i think that yeah. sort of thing is possible but it's obviously it makes some money, but equally it does cost them money. So I wonder if someone's done that comparison. How much is it actually costing us versus how much we're making? Yeah, yeah. But we diverse. But there is a lot of um, education going into schools about drinking drugs. Mm. There's um, actually I was quite surprised. I had um, a little break and I went away with another family and my boys, and the casualness and. I don't know. And the knowledge that they had talking quite freely about drink and drugs, knowing that there's people in their school who are part of the um, county lines. Oh, the county okay. lines. Yeah. Oh. The, the, the calmness and normality of their yeah. con conversation mm -hmm. about knowing all about county lines actually can name people in their class who, who are part of that. You know, I mean, one that is horrifying because these kids are 13, 14, 15 mm. um, and and know of other kids involved in that. But also they've got they've got that knowledge about it. You know, mm. they, they know what's going on where I don't think even five years ago, you know, kids would have known as much as what they're knowing now. So there is some education going in and, you know, sinking in with some kids. Um, but it's just horrifying of how normal it is for them to talk about. Mm -hmm. I, I, was, I was pretty shocked. And I um, was also doing some research today. And um, we have a lot of people coming into our services that are 40, 50 plus. And, um, and actually now um, kids will actually come in. Well, not, they're not kids, they're young adults. So at 20, they will actually source help where a 40, 50 year old would struggle with that. And it's mm. just like the changing trends that are going on. And also the way of life, like kids now are more into health, more into whatever hashtag is going on, you know, and, and it's all very imagey and gyms mm. and looking good. And 
actually the stats for younger people is getting low. Mm. It's the older generation that are struggling. But do you yeah. still think that young people are using alcohol to fit in? You know, maybe if they're being bullied and they think that that's a way I in. Think, do you think that they're I think still that doing will happen. it? Kids will always have parties. Mm. Mm. But um, there will always be someone wanting to try it, won't there? But, you know, some of them are using it to fit in, I guess, and to, yeah. you know, be accepted by their peers, aren't they? Yeah. And unfortunately, yeah. I suppose it does happen. Yeah, I think it, it happiness is the key because it just in the only the, the only phase of my life, like after 15, that I really didn't use um, alcohol um, was or, or drugs was when I was pregnant and the maternity year afterwards I had I had like apart from the relationship thing I had no stresses I um you know I was getting paid I was just with my baby I was really happy and the alcohol just wasn't really in my mind it would only start to come back when I've started when I was starting wrong. to be unhappy yeah because I felt trapped in a job I didn't like I felt like I was going nowhere I was still single was I ever gonna find anybody da 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 all of those downer things had me reaching for the booze again um and thankfully I mean how old am I I'm 42 now and I've been I've kind of done some sort of self-development or self-help or therapy for the last 20 years I, I've dipped in and out or been a constant um, and I think all of that helps and I think you're right kids nowadays they have way more access to that and they um, they're more aligned to asking mm. um, some t a lot of the time in my practice now I'm working with um, women in their 20s who have um, been through like a abusive relationships um, had addictions and I'm using kind of EFT mm. to, to 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 help them emotional freedom technique mm. I think people are a little bit more open mm. yeah definitely to that now mm. and like you say you know look on Instagram it's all about the health and the meditation and Tibetan singing bowls and mm. you know all, all of that kind of thing isn't it mm. yeah. yeah I think that um I guess it's like for certain things, it is easy to go to things like alcohol because initially it can really, you know, it does the job, you know, it, it, it does the thing you want it to do. Um, the trouble is for some people, they can't stop doing it. And then it becomes worse, a, a worse problem than the one they were trying to cover up in the beginning. Um, but you, you never sign up for that when you first start, you know, the binge drinking becomes something else becomes, you know, and then before you know it, you're dependent. Um, so mm. initially it does the job you know it makes you feel better it's fun and all that but the trouble is if you're the type of person that doesn't know when to stop um, it soon can become you know an issue that you can't get out of and it's no longer helping you it's destroying your life and it's very mm -hmm. difficult for people to then just stop and to think actually this isn't you know this this was helping me before when I was feeling a bit low but now I'm so addicted to it I can't stop it 
and it's yeah. you know it's it, it it it's you pass the point of no return at that it's that stage you know you're just that's a scary invisible line yeah and then yeah you know, yeah and it's and then it's hard obviously you know like i say people are going to pick whatever it is that they need to do to survive and cope and i guess it's trying to make sure that people are picking more healthier things versus you know the things that are going to Mm. And going back to like the things in the beginning yeah and going back to the bullying um you know that again kids are more aware of that you mm. know they're not as afraid um to to come forward and 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 you know because they know you know there's campaigns there's celebrities there's all sorts you know backing that kind of thing which makes it easier and maybe friendlier for them to sort of put it out there rather than um rather than find drink or drugs you know to fit in schools good schools which are a lot now they they squash it out quick Mm. you know um yeah they've got lots of um tools and things that they implement within schools now don't they Mm. but even if it's it you know i know our podcast obviously about alcohol but even you know any other coping strategies that might not be helpful in terms of any eating disorders or even addictions to how they're looking and all of that stuff none of that's helpful or healthy you know if it's taken Mm. to an extreme you know there's nothing wrong with looking after yourself but not when you're kind of you know you're doing it because you're petrified people are going to make judgments about you and you know all the rest of it um and it's yeah it's a cruel world for young people and you know where bullying's involved it it can take all sorts of paths in terms of how people cope with that, whether that's drink or whether that's suicide or, you know, that's, you know, on the increase of younger people committing suicide because they just don't think there's any way out of something, you know, and, Mm. um, and that's worrying. So whether it's alcohol, drugs, um, you know, overeating, none of that stuff is healthy, but it's, you know, and is that a lack of, um resilience and coping skills that children are not being taught these days whether that's by their parents or school or whatever in generally in life you know we need to try and encourage them to seek out better ways and i think that that children are better now in talking and opening up and you know rather than like back in the day where probably wouldn't have shared difficulties you know just got on with it don't you just get on with it Mm. Yeah, I think there's, um, I know I can only talk for the, the, the schools that my daughter's been in. She's been in two primary schools and um, they've both been really brilliant, really good kind of pastoral care and mm. um, they've got uh, things where the children, if they've got worries, they can write them down and pop them in a little post box in the school mm. and if they want some help, they can put their name on it and mm. if they just want someone to know they don't have to put their name on mm. it they just want to let it go kind of thing mm. so they've got some really really nice things mm. and um in the school she's in at the moment they're doing i can't remember what it stands for though the arc curriculum and a r k stands for something which i can't remember what it stands for <laughs> k is for kindness that mm. that i do but i don't know something like that and it works on all the emotions yeah and i think that that's the important thing is to introduce this stuff because um we we haven't done a podcast around aces and stuff like that but um 
adverse childhood experiences is something that um, it is is out there um, you know things that children have been through in their life um, and we need to be proactive in terms of helping children to cope before anything gets you know embedded mm. and happens sort of thing and then obviously you've got all the kids that have already gone through it so they need support um so you know i think it is important to try and offer these different strategies and things for children before they reach for things like county lines and you know all of that kind of stuff which is really destructive well it's massively needed after this year mm after the six months of no school some children have you know even children that come from happy homes they've had a tough time mm. and they've had their own their mental health put to the test yeah. um and had you know many little meltdowns mm. breakdowns through it as well so yeah i just yeah my heart goes out to the children's that don't have the happy homes and they've had to be there and exactly it's sort of double whammy isn't it yeah yeah 100 percent. Mm. oh well i think this has been very interesting because i think it is you know important to look at things like bullying and how we use alcohol as a coping strategy and you know how it can obviously escalate like you've said you know it's binge drinking and then it kind of escalated from there and coping strategies and you know it's important for us to start thinking about young people and making sure that they can you know have like I say some decent coping strategies and and start mm. communicating those things because maybe when you were younger if you felt you know if it was a different situation and you felt comfortable and maybe there was pastoral care available you you may not have kind of you know you may have talked about your bullying and it may have led you different route who knows mm. absolutely yeah I used to think talking was overrated, but now I know different. It's good. <laughs> <laughs> and I think it does get a bad rap, doesn't it? Because years, you know, people are like, mm, counselling or oh, talking about your problems, especially for boys, I suppose, because they've historically always been, you know, man up or that sort of rubbish. Um, so Take it's me. hard for them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think now gradually things, you know, it's okay to feel that way. It's okay to talk about it. And, and we need more of that because... But equally, if someone doesn't want to talk, that's all right as well. But as long as they know that they can if they want to and they're not going to be mm -hmm. met, with met with judgments and things like that, um, you know, I think that that's kind of all you can ask, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh, thank you very much, Jane, for sharing with us. It's It's been really interesting. And I think that lots of people will probably relate to your story and experiences. So thank you so much. Yeah it's yeah, a pleasure thank you um, it's been um, lovely to lovely to get to know you and and uh and talk about these things it's been great thank you thank you it's been lovely thank you so much for having me on um i just something that's just popped into my mind was that i also i i struggled with dyslexia as a child and also it was hard of hearing and the glasses so even though i felt like i had a happy childhood there, you're, it, you're right, there was that sort of bullying and not quite fitting in, not quite being clever enough, etc. through school. Mm -hmm. And if that pastoral care was there in the first school, then perhaps things kind of wouldn't have escalated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 
And I think that, you know, in terms of resourcing and money, everything comes back to the money, doesn't it? And sadly, in the UK, there's just not enough money and resources to adequately and appropriately support people you know in the way in which mm. they need in the way in which they need it because everyone needs support in different ways and we just do not have the funding for it and the availability of staff to manage the demand you know the demand yeah. is too great and we you know i think that's another topic <laughs> we've got to look at what what's, <laughs> causing, what's causing that you know what's is our, yeah. our lives too stressful and it's making us reach for things like this alcohol drugs and everything else yeah um and I think greed comes into it big time as well. And but yeah, topic for another day. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks.